0: Well, hello there. Trying something a bit different with this episode. Hopefully, you find it informative and entertaining. This is a wee free episode, so patrons won't be charged for this because it's so short, and because I recorded it so quickly, I didn't really have a very good setup. And that's why my microphone keeps blowing out, which is very frustrating to listen to. But I sometimes think it's better to just lay your cards on the table and issue an apology at the start of the episode rather than painstakingly re-record everything. So uh, when you hear me go, well, um, yeah, I hate it too. I'm sorry. (laughs) Hopefully you enjoyed the episode, though. The news should be on. Well, 2022 is in the books, and as your humble herald of all things Tintin, it would be remiss of me not to take the time to go back and recap what has happened in the world of Tintin in the past 12 months, and to offer my two francs about what it all meant. This is Radio Tintin, Year in Review, 2022. In January, it was announced that the Belgian government would begin issuing new national passports that contained full-colour images from some of the nation's most famous comic strips, including the Smurfs, Blake and Mortimer, and of course, The Adventures of Tintin, represented by Hergé's iconic red and white moon rocket. Sophie Vilmer, then Belgian Foreign Minister, said that the detailed designs featured in the new passports would help to hinder forgery attempts, while also paying homage to a uniquely Belgian art form. The introduction of this new passport is also an opportunity for us to highlight the ninth art, the comic strip, which is a central element of our culture and our influence abroad. I would like to thank the publishers, authors and rights holders who have agreed to participate in the project. There is a much more respectful public perception of the medium of comics in Belgium compared to the United States, where comics are still routinely derided as pulp fodder or intellectual property generators for CGI-laden blockbusters. It's hard to think of a greater sign of respect for the medium than by placing these images on such an integral national document. It would be like if the Australian government started putting aggro on our Centrelink forms. For the five Australians listening, that joke will kill. Autoworld, Belgium's National Car Museum, announced in February that their Tintin exhibition would become permanent. The Brussels Museum features full-scale replicas of two of the dozens of cars featured in the Tintin albums and several more smaller scale models. The exhibition is a natural fit for a Belgian car museum. Tintin is held in high regard by motor enthusiasts, owing to the sheer number and variety of cars, bikes and trucks featured across his decades of adventure, each of them rendered with typical technical accuracy by Hergé, who was something of a petrolhead himself. Understanding, of course, that it is designed to only be a small section of a much larger museum, having only two full-scale replicas still seems lacking. Small-scale models of Tintin cars are not difficult to find. They line the walls of every Tintin boutique across the world, and chances are, if you're a fan of both Tintin and automobiles, you already have a dedicated shelf in your home where you can see them every day for free. Having said that, some listeners have visited AutoWorld and have informed me it was lots of fun to see. Thank you to those that shared pictures as well. In March, some six decades after Tintin and Snowy's first trip to space, the duo returned to zero gravity as part of a long-term partnership between the Urge Estate and the European Space Agency, ESA. The ESA's ambitious Terra Novae exploration plan aims to establish a pan-European presence in outer space in the coming decades, with the eventual goals of returning to the moon and hopefully reaching Mars after that. Tintin is an obvious mascot for such a project. Not only did he beat the Americans to the moon by more than a decade, if you ignore the fact that he's not actually real, but he also remains a uniquely European cultural export. At a time of renewed great power competition and contemporary geopolitics, space exploration once again becomes an avenue of international cooperation. And I believe the ambitious and generous Tintin is a perfect symbol for such an ideal. A preliminary stage of the ESA's mission is what's called a parabolic flight, which enables crew members to become used to the sensation of zero gravity. A specially crafted set of resin statuettes of Tintin and Snowy, based on their appearance in Explorers on the Moon, were created by designer Nicolas Prumont and accompanied the ESA crew on this parabolic flight. You would think it would just be a matter of taking some regular Tintin figurines aboard, but apparently that's definitely not the case and it's not that simple. Regardless, there are a few pictures of Tintin experiencing genuine zero gravity, which joyfully brings to life Urge's original vision of from decades earlier. And this will be even more profound if they actually take the statuettes into space in the coming years. And of course, we're very excited to have Tintin and Snowy on board. We are, we are looking forward. I think they will be very good flyers. I'm sure they will behave. May saw a big announcement out of the Urge estate, officially changing the name of their merchandising wing from Molensart Art to Tintin Imaginatio. One word. Reasons given for the change were twofold. To quote the organization's official press release Firstly, we wanted to bring the word Tintin back into the name of the operational activities, management, and marketing activities, because it is an iconic name that has the immense advantage of being much more recognized internationally. Secondly, this new name also reflects the new perspective of opening up to the virtual world, the imaginary world, and the imagination. We find the ideas of image and imagination in it, which are two of the main foundations of Urge's universe. That reference to the virtual world is an interesting one we'll return to later. While I understand the business rationale behind the decision, it makes sense to have Tintin in the name of an organization whose sole purpose is to market and merchandise Tintin, I still really haven't warmed up to this new name Tintin Imaginatio seems so awkward and clunky. Imaginatio is Latin for imagination, which supposedly gives the new name a sense of universality, but it just sounds like the name of a magician from a children's book. Compare that to the quiet dignity of Molensart, which is of course derived from the original French name for the estate in which Tintin lives in the series. Molensart is literally the home of Tintin. Was anybody ever confused by the name Molensart just because they lived in a region where the estate name was translated into something else? I wasn't, and I'm an idiot. Regardless, it's not the first time the organisation has changed names and ultimately it doesn't matter nearly as much compared to the actual policy decisions regarding the treatment of Auger's work and more to come on that front shortly. One of the many upcoming projects announced by Tintin Imaginatio was a new Tintin video game and in August we were treated to a title and some screenshots. Tintin Reporter Cigars of the Pharaoh is slated for release in 2023 across all gaming platforms and will be, hang on, Tintin Reporter? Why not just Tintin Cigars of the Pharaoh? I thought one of the advantages of changing from Molin's art to Tintin Imagination was that the name Tintin was ubiquitous and easily understood, so why does the first project after this name change have to specify that Tintin is a reporter? Are any gamers unfamiliar with the character going to say, well, I wasn't going to play it, but now that I know that this Tintin guy is a reporter, well, I might just have to pick it up. I'm nitpicking, of course, because let's be honest, I'm going to buy the damn thing regardless of what they call it. From the official release on Tintin.com. A unique and innovative gameplay combining all the key elements of adventure and investigation video games. A game that puts you in a reporter's shoes, searching for clues, infiltrating hostile places and solving puzzles with the help of investigative dialogues sumptuously enriched with breathtaking video sequences. That's a lot of words without saying very much, but I'm envisioning some sort of side-scrolling puzzle platformer not dissimilar to the video game adaption of the 2011 Tintin feature film. I reviewed this and all other Tintin games in an earlier episode of the podcast. As a story, Cigars of the Pharaoh is a good basis for a video game adaption featuring lots of different locations and possibilities for combat and puzzles. The five screenshots provided present some lavishly rendered 3D environments and characters, though these are all pre-rendered so they're not necessarily reflective of the in-game graphics. Tintin at least doesn't look creepy, which is arguably the most important thing to get right. Now it's incredibly rare for a mid-budget licensed game like this to make waves in the wider gaming community, but I'm not expecting anything life-changing. I'd be very happy with a solid gameplay experience with replay value and lots of reverence and respect for the series as a whole. In October, the ongoing Hergé exhibition, entitled Exhibition Hergé, arrived in Circulo de Bellas Artes in Madrid after several months of successful displays at various museums across Europe and Asia. The exhibition is the premier retrospective on the life and art of Hergé, covering not just Tintin, but his early advertising work and later modern art pieces, featuring many original documents and sketches from the artist's fabled extensive archive. It all looks very impressive, and is indicative of the ongoing efforts to cement Hergé's legacy as one of the great artists and storytellers of the 20th century. Now this is a designation I think Hergé definitely deserves. But seeing all the pictures of the exhibition, I do wonder how much there is there that children would enjoy. The downside to venerating comics as a ninth art form is that the medium risks becoming the domain only of adult enthusiasts and academics to the detriment of the children the strips were originally written for. This is one of the major criticisms leveled at the Urge estate in the decades since the artist's death. I think there is room to venerate the Tintin series as a serious work of art worthy of serious analysis. I mean, I should. I've based an entire podcast on that idea. While still ensuring that those in the age bracket for which Urge originally wrote are able to engage with the property. And on that topic, a more child-accessible Tintin exhibition is the ongoing Tintin, the immersive experience at Atelier de Lumière, a digital arts centre in Paris. Or Paris, as we like to say. I'll say Paris. The exhibition features beautifully animated imagery from the Tintin series displayed on enormous digital screens, allowing visitors to literally step into the world of the comics. Well, not literally, obviously. The experience is comprised of several different chapters, covering everything from Tintin's earliest black and white appearances to his most daring adventures, most dangerous villains, and most colourful supporting characters. Even from social media posts, you can see it is indeed quite the immersive experience, and it's clear the designers were aiming for something a bit more engaging than merely having Tintin panels projected onto walls. It certainly seems like something children of all ages would enjoy. For 7 to 77, as the old adage goes, yeah. On the merchandising front, a new edition of Cigars of the Pharaoh was released in October, following similarly recolored editions of Urge's early Tintin albums from Editions Molen's Yes, the specialty album releases from the organisation will still be published by Editions Molen's even though the organisation as a whole is no longer called Molen's please don't ask me, it wasn't my decision. It's difficult to explain the process without visual references, but allow me to try valiantly. The early Tintin albums were originally published in black and white and featured much thicker line work and less detailed, more rounded character designs than what we are used to in the series today. Later, as Urge perfected his craft, he would completely redraw these earlier stories in colour and with the designs for which he is now renowned, ensuring that these early editions of the albums fell out of circulation, except as occasional collectible facsimile releases for the more dedicated enthusiasts. A few years ago, the estate made the decision to recolor these old albums with a unique palette and re-release them, sometimes with an added preface from tintinologist Philip Godin, explaining the conception and inspiration of the story. Cigars of the Pharaoh is thus the fourth album to receive this treatment. For me, these editions are cool, but not essential. I have the facsimiles of the original Black and White albums and, of course, the updated, now standard editions, so I don't feel like I necessarily need an in-between version that Urge had nothing to do with. Having said that, I have purchased two of the past three already, so if I stumble across this one for a fair price, yeah, I probably will cop. While they are undeniably and uniquely visually appealing, I personally can't help but to view these re-releases as symptomatic of the fundamental challenge at the heart of Tintin Imaginatio's business model. There are 24 Tintin albums in total, and the estate holders have made it very clear that there will never be any new ones made without Urge's input. So how do you continue to generate merchandising revenue once the fans already own those 24 albums? Special editions of the same albums are one possible solution. But perhaps I've become too cynical in my old age. What do you think? A new way to appreciate the Tintin albums we've come to love or a shameless cash grab? Let me know on Instagram or on Facebook. Coinciding with the re-release of Tintin's Egyptian romp is the introduction of another exhibit, this time at the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization in Cairo, which celebrates the centenary of both the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb and the bicentenary of the deciphering of the hieroglyphics by Francois Champollion. two events which inspired the cultural fascination with ancient Egypt from which Urge's album originally sprung. It's a much smaller exhibition than, for example, the one in Madrid, but... As with the aforementioned partnership with the European Space Agency, I think it's a great initiative to include Tintin in such settings. Spanning more than five decades, the albums are reflective of a variety of cultural and historical contexts, and I do believe this should be celebrated and explored whenever possible. Finally, just in time for Christmas, Tintin Imaginatio announced an upcoming gift we could all be excited about, a project reflective of the organization's embrace of a future for Tintin at the exciting front of cutting-edge digital technology, they announced Tintin NFTs. My admittedly very limited understanding of NFTs is that when it comes to online verification and security, the underlying blockchain technology does have a lot of potential. But as assets to invest in, the NFT bubble has well and truly burst, and while I'm sure high-level discussions were ongoing for a while... Tintin Imaginatio had the misfortune of announcing this project after the NFT market crashed and crashed badly, with consumer skepticism towards the entire concept at an all-time high. At best, the project represents the natural evolution in the lucrative world of Tintin merchandising. Is buying, for example, a unique digital image of one of Verge's panels really that different from purchasing multiple editions of the same story, like I do? It could be considered in this sense a means to purchase exclusive bragging rights. I mean, we're all Tintin fans, but how many of us have a code that categorically proves we own a part of the Tintin digital empire? At worst, however, it's an attempt by another multi-million dollar corporation to extract money from a dedicated fanbase without offering anything tangible in return. At least when they re-release Cigars of the Pharaoh, you get the actual book to read. Tintin Imaginatio religiously adheres to Urge's request that no new Tintin adventures are created. But how on earth are they able to gauge how he would have felt about a technology like this that he wouldn't have been out of dream of when he died? But all of this is just my personal opinion. And it's a moot point, ultimately. Something's value is determined by nothing more than the amount of money people are willing to pay for it. The collection will be launched in January 2023 in conjunction with RTQ, an industry-leading team of digital art boys. And you can rest assured I will at the very least check in to see what form the NFTs take. If you are excited about NFTs or Tintin NFTs in particular, I am in no way entitled to tell you that you shouldn't be. And that brings us up to date and into the new year. Hope you've enjoyed this little recap, focusing on the albums and history of the Tintin brand. As I do, it is easy to forget that there is a vast marketing apparatus working 24-7 and making things happen with the brand today. And this has just been an attempt to explore some of those moves. I'd like to wish all of my listeners a very safe and happy 2023. Follow me on Instagram at tintin.podcast and facebook.com forward slash radio tintin podcast. Support the show on patreon.com forward slash radio tintin podcast. And I'll see you very soon with some new episodes regarding our favourite boy reporter who never seems to do much reporting. Now, Until then, though, this has been Radio Tintin. Thank you for tuning in.